grace and peace to you from the one who is and who was and who is coming. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Concerning the times and dates, brothers, there's no need to write to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying peace and security, destruction will suddenly come on them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will certainly not escape. But you brothers are not in the dark, so that this day takes you by surprise like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like everyone else, but rather let us remain alert and sober. To be sure, those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You see, God did not appoint us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are also doing. This is the word of our Lord. The hymn of the day is Day of Wrath, Day of Mourning. It comes out of the medieval ages. And those beginning words are scary, aren't they? But did you hear verse 7, how it ended pointing to your salvation in Christ? When I read our first lesson in Daniel chapter 7, when on Judgment Day everybody appears before the Holy and Righteous Lord and he's flaming white, pure white, and the flames are coming out, does that scare you? It actually shouldn't. It should scare our sinful nature. But to the new man, this should be comforting. Because as we sung in the second stanza of Day of Wrath, that death, death is done away with. That all-powerful God we're going to stand before, He has the power to do away with death. And yes, the devil who rebelled against God, he does not have the power to stand up against God. So when God has pronounced you righteous because of the faith He's given you, Judgment Day for you is not a scary thing. It's something to look forward to because it's not going to be snatched out of the hands of God. You are his little lamb and he is keeping you precious and safe. And so, as Jesus said in our gospel lesson in Matthew, he's going to separate the believers from the unbelievers, the sheep from the goats. And did you notice he points to the works that they did? But see, he didn't appear before them as that white purity of God with the flames coming out of the throne. If he did, boy, believe you and me, he would, that we would have served him, right? The unbelievers would have bowed down and served him. No, he points to the works, the evidence of faith. Showing love to your fellow man is showing love, and as far as Jesus is concerned, to God himself, and he takes it as such. And so as we confess in the Athanasian Creed, which we use usually on Trinity Sunday, we will be judged by our works. It's not that our works save us, it's that works are the evidence of faith. They're the fruit of faith. And so in our text today, as our epistle lesson in Romans, our supplemental lesson, we see that, yes, Judgment Day, it's simple, belief or unbelief, but our works are the evidence of that belief. And so our sermon theme is, staying awake for Judgment Day means producing fruit. Now, allow me to skip to verse 9 in our text and get right to where that, how we're able to grow that 
fruit. Where is the source? Where does it come from? It's not you reaching into yourself and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and finding the strength within yourself. No, we're told in verse 9, since God did not appoint us for wrath, but for preservation of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us in order that we might live together with him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you can take a branch off a tree, I'm told, that, that has bad roots. You can cut that branch and you can engraft it onto another tree and, and it will start growing fruits from that tree using its root system. Now, I can't do this because I don't have a green thumb and I'm a terrible gardener. But you can do this and this is what's happened. God's Holy Spirit worked through the word to enter your heart so that you are engrafted to Christ. Again, this is that wonderful union of all believers. By faith, you're connected to Christ as a branch is to the vine. And because of that, his perfect life, 33 years roughly, of perfectly obeying the law and never once sinning is credited to you. His death for the world is credited to you so that his blood is flowing through you so that your sins are washed away and his resurrection is yours because you already have a new man inside of you that is already eternally alive and you have been promised you will be given a glorified body and the new heavens and the new earth. And notice how all this comes about. It wasn't by decision you made. Listen carefully to those words. Since God did not appoint us for wrath. Now we got to supply that verb appoint then. But he appointed us for preservation of salvation. God did not, before he say, let there be light, say, you know, I don't like that guy or that gal. It's, it's the way that they say, it's the way they pronounce their R's. I'm going to damn them to hell. No. Before God said, let there be light, he planned out your life. He planned out, in spite of the fact that you and I do not deserve it, he planned out to make sure that you would be brought to the faith and kept to the faith. This is a comfort for my new man as I worry, what if I fall from faith? The doctrine of predestination says, God's got you. On your own, you will, but God has got you. He did not, before he said, let there be light, plan for anyone to go to hell, but he specifically planned in his grace for you to be brought to and kept in the faith so that you do get heaven. Now, notice at the end here, we say, verse 10, who died for us in order that we might live together with him, whether we're watchfully awake or we are asleep. A lot of people think that what he's saying here is, whether we've already died and are waiting for a judgment day, you know, for the return of Christ, or whether we're alive when Christ dies. And that's biblical, but that's not in the context of today. In today's text, all the other verses that talk about darkness and light, sleep and being awake, it's unbelief or belief. And if we fall asleep, we've fallen into unbelief. So this is just a restatement of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Christ died for the sins of the world, whether they believe it or not, but it becomes yours through faith. God does not appoint us to go to hell, but if we reject it, that's where we go. He died for us whether, whether we like it or not. So there's a wonderful comfort for you and I. While you and I, before we even existed, he planned our salvation. He planned for his son to come. He planned for you to be engrafted by the Holy Spirit working in the word. So on judgment day, if Jesus is going to point to your fruits as evidence of your faith, you're covered. Why? Because we see that fruit comes from being engrafted to Christ. 
You're connected to him. So you grow these fruits whether you realize it or not. Do you know, there's, it's called photosynthesis. If I take a plant and it's healthy and I cover it up in a dark black box so it never sees sunlight, it's going to die. Fruit grows in the light. God works through that word. Now let's go back to verse 1 where we're told, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you keep on having no need to be written to. For you yourselves accurately know that like a thief in the night, so is the day of the Lord's coming. Brothers and sisters in Christ, even Jesus in what we call his state of humiliation, when he wasn't letting all the whiteness of his godhood as described in Daniel shine through, people would have ran in fear. During that time, he had confessed even he didn't know the last day because he hid it from himself. He wasn't using all the powers of his godhood. Now they are letting them all shine through. Now that he's in his state, as we call it, exaltation, since the resurrection, he does. But if he says no one knows the last day, not even himself during that stage, then guess what? The only person who knows is God, our triune God. And again in scripture, we're told it's going to come like a thief in the night. It's really sad that there are so many Christians that don't realize they're calling God a liar when they run through the scriptures and try to crack the hidden code and predict the last day. It happens every year, but one of the big ones happened in 2012. And you know the sad thing is? If you have people lining up for a race and the guy keeps firing the gun to start, and says, ha, 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 just kidding, boom, ha, 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 just kidding, boom, ha, 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 just kidding. How many times do you have to do that before the racers finally say, to heck with you, we're not going to race? See, those people who are so busy not taking God at his word while diligently searching his word for something God has said is not there, that's what they do. They end up lulling people asleep, and it's happened time and time again. I thought this was judgment day. I believe this guy, and it didn't happen. And then I fell for the next one, and it didn't happen. And eventually they fall asleep. But it's coming like a thief in the night. It means if you know the day when the thief is coming, you would be awake. You would have the door barred. You'd have your spouse ready to dial 911, and maybe you would have a pump shotgun ready to go, right? So we are to be prepared for Judgment Day, because we do not know when it's coming. And the preparation comes as fruit grows in the light by being in the light of God's Word. In other words, God actually prepares you. Your new man that he's given you and grafted to Christ wants to come to the word and be fed. Be reminded, yes, I'm a sinner, but my sins are forgiven. Be reminded of all of God's promises and that he's got you. This is what prepares you. Now, when you know the scriptures, you know that things aren't going to be so great coming up to the end. This is the entire book of Revelation, whether you're talking about the the seven scrolls or the bulls of wrath or the lampstands or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're all time and time again describing the same thing. And that same thing is basically this. There will be wars, rumors of wars, famines, plagues. The church will be persecuted by those claiming to be Christians. The realm of the Antichrist. And from those who are not Christian, for example, like the Roman government, persecution, the persecution of Muslims. But but it will be triumphant. It will look like it's getting the stuffing kicked out of it, but God has got it. He, pre, he predestined you. He appointed you to be saved, and you will be saved. And that will be seen. The church will be triumphant, which is next Sunday's sermon. So I don't want to get too deep into that. So there's a warning. When they are saying peace and safety then sudden destruction is coming to them. 
I like peace and safety, brothers and sisters in Christ. I like it when my bills are being paid and the roof isn't blowing off of my house and I'm not sick and my wife and my sons aren't sick. I love peace and security. You know, the thing that I hate to admit, though, is when I feel peace and secure then I don't see the need to turn to God. It's when things are going miserable, when life has got you down face first in the gutter and it's kicking you in the ribs. That's when you really are praying to God and saying, Lord, help me. So it's actually a blessing in your life when you're not feeling the peace and security of this world. But it's made blatantly obvious here we don't know when the day will be and the world will lull us in with its false peace and security and so we stay in the light of God's word. Simply being in the word. I'm preaching to the choir this morning so you know, kudos to you. But, you're, but this is the Holy Spirit working in you so that he keeps you in that faith that God has predestined you so that on judgment day God will say there's the fruit. And believe it or not, the greatest fruit that you produce is trusting in God for your salvation, 100%. So we're told in verse 4, yet you yourselves, brothers, are not in the sphere of darkness with the result that this day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. Specifically, we are not sons of night or darkness. He's talking to the Thessalonians first and also you when he says you are not sons of darkness. You're sons of light and day. Now, recall in John, when he begins his gospel, he talks about Jesus being the light that no darkness can overcome. Jesus is also the word. If you're a son of light, you are engrafted to Christ. You are a son of God. You are a son of God's word. And therefore, you're in the light and you show the characteristics of the family. The characteristics of the family is clinging to God's word. Because there he shows you your sin, but all the more... He shows you his promises that your sins are forgiven and he's keeping you safe. And notice how he transitions. First type Thessalonians, you're not sons. And then he says specifically, we are not sons of night or darkness. No Christian is a son of night or darkness. That's the devil's realm. That's where the devil hangs out. That's ignorance. That's rejecting God as your savior and turning to yourself or saying, I don't even need to be saved. But God keeps you in the light of his word and constantly exposes the devil's attacks for you. So he says, verse six, accordingly, then let us not keep on falling asleep as the others, but let us stay watchfully awake and let us keep on being sober. Indeed, those who fall asleep do so during the night and those who get drunk do so during the night. Now there is a warning. You can fall from faith. And here's how it happens. I just want to drink from the ways of the world. Just one sip, it just helps. And then just another sip. I just, I just need a better job with paying more money, never mind the fact that now i got to sleep in on Sunday. I just need a little more, and, and pretty soon we're drunk and we're passed out. It's talking about falling into unbelief. And, and it, it usually happens gradually and slowly as the world lulls us to sleep. But he says, this is not the case for you. When you're in the light... It's like a cup of coffee that keeps you awake, keeps you sober. That is God's word. God's word always reminding you that you need a savior and always assuring you that you have a savior and that you are saved. It keeps you awake. And just as light working on plants that through photosynthesis, they grow fruit, you grow fruit. So staying awake for judgment day means producing fruit, fruit that comes from being engrafted to Christ and fruit that grows in the light of the word. 
But ultimately, we take the apple when it's ripe and we pluck it off the tree and we eat it and, and, we nur- and it nourishes us, right? So that fruit also nourishes. Verse 8, Yet let us who are sons of day keep on being sober by means of having already put on the breastplate consisting of faith and love. Now we get into armor. This is what protects us from the devil's attack. The heart is a vital organ. There's a lot of vital organs right in through the, the midsection of the body and a sharp knife or sword, one good stab, and it's over. So soldiers would put a breastplate on to protect them from that one good stab. Your new man that is engrafted to Christ has vital organs. And you protect those vital organs with a breastplate that is consists of faith and love. Now remember, faith is the Holy Spirit living in your heart so that you are engrafted to Christ and his sap runs through you. So the faith God has given you draws you to that word. The faith God has given you produces fruit. One of the great fruits of faith is love. Now that's how the Ten Commandments are summarized. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the faith God has given you as the devil is attacking, whispering, God can't forgive you. You don't need God. This thing of the world is more important than God. Your faith says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm focused on what I get. I'm alive in Christ now. And I know on judgment day, I want to be declared righteous and I will be. So you stay in the word and that protects you. Your faith clings to and says, yes, the thing said in the word to Israel, the thing said in the world to the invisible church, the thing said to individual churches, those are God's promises specifically to me, you can say, because he has given me faith. And as I said, love is a great fruit of faith. So you love God, well, your new man does, and your new man loves your neighbor. Guess what? Look to the person to your left and your right. This is one of the things God has given to protect you. You have brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should be looking out for each other. And we do. Because of that faith, we love one another, and we even love those who would persecute and hate us. We love them enough to share the word of God with them while they're rivaling us. So we have a breastplate. Now, a helmet, the next thing we're told, and the helmet, namely confident expectation of salvation. Brain's a vital organ. You do all your thinking up there, and it's so important that God's enclosed it with a skull, but a nice crack from a hammer will do away with that, right? So you need something to protect your brains, the brains of your new man, the way you think. And he says, really, literally, in Greek, we would translate that as hope. But you've heard me say it a hundred times. I don't like the English word hope and what it means. You've heard me say, whenever I go to Menards, I always stop at the kiosk and register to win a vehicle. And I hope I want it. I've been doing this in the nearly four years I've lived in Casper. So every time I do it, I pretty much expect I'm not going to win that vehicle. See, in English, the word hope means a lot of chance of not coming through. But in the Bible, when you have faith, you know God's promises are yours. So it's not a hope. It's a confident expectation. You expect that because God's Holy Spirit's in your heart, drawing you to that word that keeps you strong in your faith, you expect that on judgment day, God will see the fruits of your faith, your love for God, your love for your neighbor. And they're not the fruits the world would look for. You're here this morning is love for God's word and love for your neighbor. What you hear, God will use to apply to your neighbor when he presents those opportunities for you. So this dominates the way you think when hard times come. You have a confident expectation. God promises you he's ruling all creation for you. You can confidently expect he's using it for your good and for your neighbor's good. And when hard times come, we can confidently expect the saying, this too shall pass, 
because we know God is going to give us glorified bodies and we know he's going to give us the new heavens and the new earth. So it dominates our thinking that protects our new man. As the devil's attacking, we confidently expect we will stand before our Lord righteous, not because of our own righteous, but because we're engrafted to Christ, his righteousness, which wraps up our sermon and brings us back to our first part. As we look to Judgment Day today, we see that staying awake for Judgment Day means producing fruit. That's fruit that comes from being engrafted to Christ. That's fruit that grows in the light, the light of his word. And that's fruit that nourishes both your faith, both and your neighbors, whether they be a believer or not. God uses you to bring others to and help preserve and keep them in the faith. Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has called you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.